Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 800 877 rather 972-7425-877-97 Eric. You wouldn't be on the program. My guest host last week was saying 877-973-ERIC. Nope, 877-97-ERIC. 877-972-7425 if you want to be on the program. You can always text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777 and get the live stream, the podcast, the show notes, my social media. You should be following me on social media. Now, I want to talk about that which I have not spent a ton of time on that some of you wish I would spend all the time on, and that is the runoff in Georgia. The last Senate seat to be decided comes down to Senator Raphael Warnock and his Republican challenger, Herschel Walker. If the Republicans win this seat, the Democrats will still control the floor of the Senate— But the committees themselves will be tied 50-50, which means if Herschel Walker can pull this thing off, the Republicans can still obstruct the Democrats' agenda more easily than if Warnock wins. On top of that, it provides them a one-seat cushion of uh, a margin of error and a little bit of a cushion to advance into uh, 2024 to be able to take back the Senate. They only need to pick up one seat as opposed to two. Given how this last time went, that margin of error would be a good thing. The GOP has every incentive to go, although many Republican voters aren't that enthusiastic. Uh, I'm going to have some help here because i got a caller who wants to talk about it, and I'm going to let Spencer make the case too. Spencer, welcome to the show. How are you? Eric, doing well. How about you? Great. Yeah, the the point I wanted to make, <clears throat> I think a lot of Republicans are are going to refrain from voting tomorrow because they think it doesn't matter. But uh, you know, the seat is for six years, not two. And even though uh, if uh, Walker wins tomorrow, it will only be tied for the next two years. That seat is good for six years, and uh, in subsequent Senates, it could put us over the top. Yeah, look, that that's a great way to think about it. And and yeah, I do think the enthusiasm is not there among Republicans, although I do think Republicans are working hard at their ground game to bring people out. Spencer, thanks for making the case. Let me just give you the data. In the general election, Herschel Walker underperformed Brian Kemp by 203,130 votes. So 203,130 people in Georgia voted for Brian Kemp and would not vote for Herschel Walker. You will notice that in 2020, that was an excuse for Trump voters to claim fraud, having an undervote like that. They didn't say anything about it this time because there was no fraud. But here's what's more interesting. Though Herschel Walker underperformed Brian Kemp by 203,130 votes— He only underperformed Raphael Warnock by 37,675 votes. And a third-party candidate, the Libertarian, got 81,365 votes. 
had Walker gotten those votes, he'd have won. The question in this runoff is, will Republicans turn out for Herschel Walker? This is important because there are more Republicans than Democrats in Georgia. Forget redistricting. It's just notable that Republicans overall got more votes for every statewide race in Georgia except this one. When you add up all the votes cast for Congress through all the districts in Georgia, Republicans got more votes than Democrats. When you add up all the state Senate seats in Georgia and the votes to the Democrats and Republicans, Republicans got more. Same with the state House. Republicans outnumber Democrats in Georgia. If Republicans turn out tomorrow, Herschel Walker wins. But Herschel Walker underperformed Brian Kemp by 9%. So I have to tell you something that will aggravate some of you. Just, just, I'm just, I'm not giving you my opinion here. Just telling you the truth. It's not meant to be mean or painful. It's just the truth. Walker's not a great candidate. You may love him dearly. But he's not a great candidate or a good fundraiser. He hasn't raised the pile of cash that he needs. The money out there, last night I watched the uh, Indianapolis Colts take on the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys won. Poor Matt Ryan. I saw in one commercial break three Raphael Warnock ads. I did not see a single Herschel Walker ad. Republicans privately are are expecting a loss. However, I will tell you the data suggests it's going to be very close and that Walker has a path to victory. You see, early voting is breaking records for a runoff in Georgia. We we haven't actually seen uh, a runoff early vote turnout like we're seeing. And it's not just the highly Democratic parts of the state that are turning out. It's, it's highly Republican parts of the state as well. Everybody is turning out. And that's giving some Republicans hope that Walker can pull it out. Uh, if, if you don't like Herschel Walker, the odds are you're not turning out to vote for Raphael Warnock. People are turning out to vote for someone in a runoff, generally. They're turning out to vote for Walker, and they're turning out to vote for Warnock. In the general election, when everybody shows up and you're confronted with the very first race on the ballot being Herschel Walker versus Raphael Warnock, you may skip it. You may decide, I don't like either of these guys, but Walker's just not fit to be in the Senate. I'm going to vote for Warnock. Or I don't like either of these guys, but I need the GOP in charge of the Senate. How many of those people are going to turn out in a runoff? They're there not for that race. They're there for the other races. They're there for the Kemp Abrams race. They just have to deal with that race, and they're not going to leave it blank. And so they say, well, 
I don't like this scenario, so I'm going to go here. They have no reason to turn out in a runoff. The people who turn out in a runoff are very much voting for or against, and typically in a runoff, you are voting for someone, and it may be you're voting for someone because of the bad of the other side, but you're still there for that person. If you were in the general election and you didn't even want to vote in that race and you just felt obligated to, you're not going to turn out of the runoff. If you don't like either side, you're probably not going to turn out of the runoff. And if you skipped that race, and by the way, there were a lot of people who just refused to vote in that race, you're not turning out of the runoff. And if you're one of the 81,365 people who voted third party, a good portion of them probably won't vote in the runoff. So you're left with a deficit of 37,675 votes. Raphael Warnock got 37,675 votes more than Herschel Walker. So who turns out in the runoff? On the Sunday of early voting, it was overwhelmingly non-white, particularly black voters. That's good for Raphael Warnock. Contrary to what some of the people around Walker think, those black voters are not voting for Herschel Walker. They're just not doing it. But disproportionately, every day of the week of early voting, other than that Sunday, has seen a growing number of white voters. And those white voters have been growing in Greene County and Rabin County. I mean, around the state, in the counties that turned out overwhelmingly for Brian Kemp and did so in early voting are turning out early now. And I got to think that's for Herschel Walker. But just consider this data point. Herschel Walker in the Georgia runoff, has spent only $48,000 on 19 ads on Facebook. Raphael Warnock has spent $448,000 on 210 ad variations on Facebook. Warnock is spending way more money to try to draw people out to vote. The GOP is relying on Brian Kipp's ground game. They handed that ground game over to Mitch McConnell's uh, Senate leadership group. And they're doing everything they can. I've had got three door knockers that came to my house. One was from that Kemp group. One was from the Walker team. And one was from a third party group. They are highly engaged trying to get Republicans out to vote. You do not have to have a big ad campaign in a runoff if you're trying to just base mobilize. And that's what the Walker campaign is doing. The Warnock campaign is trying to get anybody who might think of voting to come vote. That's why they're spending so big. You don't have to spend massively on an air war in a runoff. You spend on the ground game to pull people out. And the Walker team is doing that. And Walker's team is surrounded by people who know how to win runoffs, which should help him. If I had to call it, I would say it goes to Warnock, though, because of money and mobilization and passion. The Republicans who are going to vote for Walker are less passionate about Walker than the Democrats who are going to vote for Warnock. Now, listen to me. Spare me your phone call. I know some of you are listening to me. You're upset because you are highly passionate about Herschel Walker. God bless you. I love you. But your anecdote is a data. The polling... And you could say, well, the polling doesn't matter. Okay, the data from the general election showed Walker voters are not as passionate about Walker as Warnock voters are for Warnock. 
Walker can still win. And if all the Republicans show up tomorrow, he does win. The question is, can the Kemp campaign team get them to go out and vote for someone not named Brian Kemp? Too soon to tell on that, but we'll know tomorrow. Real quick, I want to go to Cindy. Cindy, i got about two minutes. Wanted to get you in here. How are you? Fine, thanks. I just wanted to uh, tell you about two things real quick. Uh, yesterday in our neighborhood, I live in Fulton, North Fulton County. Uh, there was a young kid walking through the neighborhood. I thought it was one of our neighbors because he didn't have an ID or anything. And I pulled out of my garage and I saw him and I offered a spare umbrella. And I had my, just so happened, I had my women for Herschel sign in my back window. I'd forgotten all about that. But I, he said, he said, well, and I asked him, you know, he said, well, I'm, I'm going around uh, canvassing for Warnock. And I, I just said, do you happen to have a permit? And he said, well, I'm sure the Democrats out of state, you know, because I'm from out of state, have taken care of that. And I said, would you like, would you still like an umbrella? I said, I've got a spare. And he was so surprised that he seemed so shocked that a Republican (laughs) would offer him a bit of kindness. See, this is uh, is what I talk about all the time when I say love your neighbor and and actually love your neighbor. That's, that's, that's awful sweet of you. And he didn't. He didn't seem, but the thing is, he didn't seem like he was that enthusiastic. Yeah, you know, he looked very dis- he looked very disgruntled, even though he's supposedly for Warnock. So that might be a positive sign. Well, I don't know. The, so the, the 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 Walker, the paid Walker guy who knocked on my door, I don't know, could actually tell me what the difference between Walker and Warnock was. He didn't seem to. Well, we've yet. had lots of. We've had. <laughs> I've I've been counting them. I have had six mailers in the uh-huh. last week. I've had. Three door hang. I mean, they're out there. Yeah, you know, okay, I'm glad you mentioned mail because I've gotten an inordinate amount of Walker campaign mail. Haven't seen a lot of TV and radio, but a ton of mail targeting me as a Republican to go help the Republicans. And that really does suggest to me that there is this uh, split in the strategy. The Walker team really is trying to get out every Republican they can get out. And the Warnock team is just blanket. I got enough money. Let me try to get as many people as possible. And that's what tells me the Walker campaign still a fighting chance in this for tomorrow if Republicans do mobilize and get out, and that's what they're trying to do. That may surprise them. Um, If Walker wins tomorrow, I suspect it'll be like a 50.5% win. It'll be very close. If Warnock wins, it'll probably be 55 to 60%. It really just depends on enthusiasm. And this this is the upside for Walker, again, is base mobilization. You know who these people are. Get them to turn out. Those 427,205 people who didn't vote in the 21 runoff, this is your redemption time. Come vote now. You can do it. You should go do it. If they can pull that off, they win. I'm just not sure they can. A friend of mine and I were discussing bull and branch sheets the other night when he was sitting on the front porch with me, and he didn't believe that they got softer and softer every time you washed them. His wife was not convinced at all. She figured it was all marketing hype. Now she wants bull and branch sheets for all of their beds at home. Why? Because they really do get softer every time you wash them. They're free of toxins, pesticides, harsh chemicals at every step of the process. They're the finest 100% organic cotton on earth. They're made by artisans who earn 
the pay and the respect they deserve. And right now, you can bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bolin Branch bedding. Their signature sheets even come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box. It's going to look good. It's going to feel great. For a limited time, get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code ERIC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolinBranch.com. So here's your wild story of the day. Two power substations. This is from PBS NewsHour and the Associated Press. It's actually an interesting story, though. Two power substations in a North Carolina county were damaged by gunfire. Being investigated as a criminal act, it caused damage that could take days to repair. Tens of thousands of people are without electricity. The outages began just after 7 p.m. Saturday in Moore County. Uh, Officials declared a state of emergency with a curfew from 9 p.m. Sunday to 5 a.m. Monday, and county schools closed. Someone shot up the county power grid. Uh, This is, uh, I've got an affiliate there in that county. Uh, This is the Southern Pines area of... um, North Carolina, you've got uh, Southern Pines, you've got Pinehurst, the golf course there. Uh, Got a lot of people living in that area, and people are without power. Backup generators are running. It is um, not – I don't – I assume that folks at WEEB are listening uh, in Southern Pines, but I can't be sure given the power. Moore County Sheriff Ronnie Fields said at a news conference – Authorities hadn't determined a motivation. He said someone pulled up and opened fire on the substation, did the same thing with the other one. The sheriff said it appears gates were breached at both sites. The pilot newspaper in Southern Pines reported a wooden post holding up a gate had been snapped at one of the substations that was laying across the road on Sunday. No group has stepped forward to acknowledge what happened. The sheriff noted the FBI was working. And that it was targeted. It wasn't random. Law enforcement is providing security at the substations and for businesses. Roughly 35,400 electric customers in the county were without power this morning, down to several thousand from the peak of the outages. Cold temperatures hit Sunday night. Duke Energy spokesman Jeff Brooks said multiple pieces of equipment were damaged and will have to be replaced. While the company's trying to restore power as quickly as possible, he braced customers for potential outages for days. 100,000 people in the county. It's an hour's drive southwest of Raleigh. And they don't really know what happened, but everything is out. And the FBI is investigating. They don't know if it's a dry run for something or just a crazy person, seeing if something like that would work, but... Uh, Keep your eye on this story. We'll see where it goes. Also, keep your eye on the deals at Omaha Steaks if you can't figure out what to get for friends and family. If if you're trying to impress somebody, you you love somebody and want to give them good steak, the steak experts at Omaha Steaks have put together a delicious selection of gift packages to make shopping for the ones you love or want to impress nice and easy. You go to omahasteaks.com and you take advantage of 50% off site-wide plus – Use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout to get an additional $30 off your order. You can get the butcher cut fillets, the bacon wrap fillets, the boneless chicken breast, the ultra juicy burgers, easy to prepare comfort meals, or my wife's favorite, the caramel apple tartlets. 
Omaha Steaks is ready to ship right away. So shop. You can beat the shipping rush. And if you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout, you save $30. Minimum order may be required for that. But go to omahasteaks.com. It's 50% off site-wide for the holidays. Promo code ERIC at checkout for an extra $30 off your order. You can get a ham from Omaha Steaks. You can get a turkey from Omaha Steaks. You can get sides, desserts, even comfort food, main courses to put in the oven. OmahaSteaks.com. Eric is your promo code at checkout for an extra $30 off. Americans for Prosperity plays to win. That matters a lot to me. I know a lot of D.C.-based organizations that just want to pass paper around to other Beltway insiders or claim they speak for everyday Americans without ever having to leave Washington, D.C. Americans for Prosperity is different. They're not a think tank. They're grassroots do-tank. Americans for Prosperity is a -a one-of-a-kind, freedom-oriented, limited government advocacy and accountability organization that actually takes action to expand opportunity for all Americans and defend your freedom of speech. They're doing great work at all levels of government. What's their secret? Well, they don't really rely on Washington. They built a network of concerned citizens who are stepping up for freedom in communities all around the country. If you want to learn more, if you want to find out how to get involved with Americans for Prosperity with a chapter near you, and I assure you, they have a chapter near you, check them out at americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. That's americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425, if you wish to be on the program. I'm just noticing in Moore County. So my Philadelphia WEB is in Southern Pines. Then there's Pinehurst. And then there's Whispering Pines. And there's Pine Bluff. It's like, uh, oh, yep, yep, um, and it's like the North Carolina equivalent of Peachtree. <laughs> uh, I'm on Peachtree Road, not Peachtree Street, which is near Peachtree Circle in Peachtree Battle. I'm in Southern Pines, near Pine Bluff, Pine Woods, Pinehurst, Whispering Pines. My goodness. <laughs> All right, I got to move on. Lots of pines. Um, We need to talk about the Democratic National Committee. And they're moving their primary schedule. Joe Biden wants to move the Democratic National Committee's presidential preference primaries to start in South Carolina. Essentially, their rundown would be to go to Georgia, to South Carolina, then go to Georgia, Nevada, and Michigan. Uh, So Iowa is where both parties typically start. And the Iowa caucuses is the very first campaign event of the presidential primary season and has been for decades. New Hampshire is the very first primary. By law, New Hampshire's primary is first. That is New Hampshire law. So if, for example, let's say New Hampshire's primary is February 3rd of 2024. If South Carolina moves its primary to February 1st, New Hampshire is required by its law for its secretary of state and parties to move their primary to the week before. 
the problem here is that the Democrats get to set their own schedule for their nominations process. And what they can say is that, okay, New Hampshire, you go first, but none of your delegates are going to get counted, and any candidate who participates is going to be penalized, which screws New Hampshire. But the Democrats don't care because Iowa is now very much a Republican state, and New Hampshire is very much an all-white state. And the Democrats want a little more diversity. So they want to start in South Carolina. This is upsetting the progressives because South Carolina is a reliably Republican state. Here's why Joe Biden wants to start in South Carolina twofold. Jim Clyburn, who was the number three Democrat in the House until last week, he helped Joe Biden. South Carolina saved Joe Biden's nomination. And Joe Biden was able to win because of South Carolina in the Democratic primary. So he wants to reward the state. And also, that state favors moderates over progressives. Joe Biden has played the progressives game, and he's signaling he's done with it. Uh, Fez Shakir is Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign manager. He's in the New York Times today railing against this. This is what he writes. President Biden's three-part plan to reform the Democratic presidential primary calendar was almost a home run, save for one flaw that dooms it entirely. Our party's lineup of states that nominate our presidential candidates every four years needs to change badly. The 2020 caucuses in Iowa, the state that has been first on the calendar for decades, were a disaster. But even more so, the sequencing of states must be transformed if we're going to achieve the most important goal of the nominating process, to pick the strongest possible candidate to put before a national audience and to do so strategically in states we must win. The process should also mirror the democratic ideals underpinning our political system and the Democratic Party, grassroots civic engagement through representative democracy. Candidates should be compelled to talk to ordinary Americans. Since the 1970s, Iowa, the state famous for its unique town meeting style caucuses, has been the first to register its recommendation for the Democratic nominee. Yet on February 3rd, 2020, as the campaign manager for Bernie Sanders, I witnessed a historic travesty of election justice as Iowa's Democratic Party-led caucus failed to do the one thing it absolutely had to do, count votes and declare an outcome. The state party was unable to report a winner on caucus night over-relying on a faulty mobile app and subsequently pointing fingers at others. But he doesn't like South Carolina. He thinks South Carolina would be bad. Nevada, New Hampshire, Georgia, and Michigan all hold early February elections. Helps narrow and winnow the Democratic field. But the Biden nomination counter contains a dooming flaw, the replacement of Iowa with South Carolina as the first state. The change would be comical. We all know why South Carolina got the nod. President Biden, Representative Jim Clyburn, many of his top supporters were buoyed by their campaign comeback in February 2020 when the state delivered Mr. Biden his first victory and a big one. The media attention from that victory and the consolidation of the Democratic field that it yielded helped catapult him to winning a majority of the following Super Tuesday states. And when COVID spread through the nation shortly after the rest of the primary contests were quarantined, Mr. Biden iced his victory 
None of that story is a reason to put South Carolina first. It's not a battleground state. Trump carried it by double digits. It's more ideologically and culturally conservative than the party or the nation. And the state is not trending in any way towards the Democratic Party. Just two years ago, we witnessed Jamie Harrison, now the chair of the DNC, spend $130 million to defeat Lindsey Graham. After outraising and outspending Mr. Graham, he still lost. What he's only hinting at here is progressives are furious with Biden putting South Carolina first because it's going to help a moderate. It's going to fuel the rise of moderates. And the New York Times is giving Bernie Sanders campaign manager a page of the New York Times to say this is a non-starter for progressives. I got to say, though. I agree with him on Iowa. Joni Ernst was on um, Fox News over the weekend talking about this. Let, let me play you her audio. So I am sorely disappointed that the Democrats chose not to have Iowa as their first in the nation caucus. Uh, we have uh, seen a number of pushes in the past to change this. I'm glad that Republicans are staying the course. And, you know, how I feel about this, I feel that Democrats have really given middle America the middle finger. Uh, no, they're not. They're giving Iowa Democratic Party officials the middle finger. Uh, to go back to what Fesh Shakir said, uh, the Iowa Democratic Party decided to do this new untested technology for the 2020 Democratic primary, and it blew up in their faces. They couldn't tell you who actually won the Iowa caucus. To this day, we're still not exactly sure who won the Iowa caucus. It wasn't election fraud. It was a uh, voting app where everybody had to get on it and put their stuff, and when they did, it crashed. It was a complete screw-up. It made no sense to do, and they did it anyway. People warned them there were going to be problems. The Iowa Democratic Party didn't listen, and this is the result of that. So couple with South Carolina being where Biden was able to moderate the race away from Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, he wants to reward it. But also, Iowa should stop. Now, the caucuses are important in this regard. If you don't understand the caucuses, the caucuses are all about mobilization, and grassroots tenacity. What Hillary Clinton did not understand in the Democratic Party in twenty in 2008, when Barack Obama won, there are some states that have caucuses, Nevada, Iowa, a few others. And if you can mobilize and get a good showing there, you can take states where there is proportional representation. So the Democrats proportionally divide up their delegates to the Democratic Convention. Republicans have more winner-take-all states. If you can dominate a caucus, however, you can make a proportional state become a winner-take-all state. And Barack Obama understood this, and he played the caucuses better than Clinton. And it was a signal he had a really good ground game. Obama played the map smarter than Clinton and won. Had Clinton just done a few things differently, she could have won. But she played old school, and she didn't. The caucuses are a way for campaigns to test their grassroots power. And that's a good thing about the caucuses. The problem, however, is if we're really honest about it, I was not that representative of the nation. It's fun to go. It's a cool atmosphere. It's a neat, neat vibe, for lack of a better word. But it's not that representative of the nation. It's disproportionately white. 
it, by the way, now is a pretty solidly Republican state. The Democrats there are more hardcore progressive than the Democrats outside the state, by and large. Very hardcore Democratic progressive base in Iowa, which is one reason the state has moved to the GOP. It just doesn't make sense for either party to have Iowa as their starting place. Georgia actually makes more sense, or Florida, for the GOP. Georgia and South Carolina, Nevada is a swing state. Michigan, fairly swingy. Even Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, swingy states that that need to win. Those states, you put those first, those swing states first. They, both parties, frankly, should probably have a, uh, a, a rotating calendar where the states with the narrowest margins are the states that go first the next time for their primaries and caucuses to try to find someone. This really does alienate progressives, though, which is what Joe Biden's trying to do. He's trying to shut down a challenge from the left so that he can be more reasonable with the Republicans for the next two years with the Republican-controlled House. Here's Chuck Todd on NBC. He kind of gets it. These are sort of contests that won't really matter that much, but it does matter who shows up at the convention. Mm -hmm. But he would put South Carolina first, then Nevada and New Hampshire would be on the same day, the Tuesday after, Georgia a week later, and then the early window closes with Michigan. Um, The South Carolina thing caught everybody by surprise. I think Nevada thought it was going to be the first in the nation. What happened? So did the CBC think Nevada was going to be first in the nation. Uh, Look, I think Joe Biden, my former boss, loves South Carolina. He is sitting in the White House today because of South Carolina. That is probably why it's first. Go with the voters that brought you. That's right. I do think from talking to a lot of Democrats who are involved in this process, what they see this as is the February group of states that is bringing geographic diversity, Mm -hmm. demographic diversity, and that it's more aligned with where the electorate is today. What is also true, as you know, Chuck, because you watch this closely, is that this is just the beginning of the process, Mm -hmm. and they have to present. These state legislatures have to approve the moving of the date, and so the Georgia Secretary of State has already said he won't do that. Is New Hampshire really not going to be first? I'm skeptical there. So there's a long battle to go here. Long battle to go. Yes, it's true. The states need to change. But typically the states will give the parties what they want in the shaping of their own presidential processes. But the key nugget here is that Biden is willing to alienate progressives on this move, which is fascinating because he's right. He got to the White House because of South Carolina. But they're right. Once he got the nomination, he needed them to get him across the finish line, and they did. They owe each other. And at this point, that's starting to fracture. Conservatives need to hold the line as they move forward. One of the great groups that has been holding the line for conservatives is Americans for Prosperity. Americans for Prosperity, AFP, has been committed to free markets and free people for decades. They love conservative convictions. They love small government. And they would love to have you be a part of their organization. I am. I'm on their advisory board. And I'm on the advisory board because AFP is one of the very few conservative groups out there that did not abandon its convictions in the last few years. They always, you knew where they stood on every issue because they're principally conservative. And they want to make you a better conservative activist. They want to give you the tools to out-argue, out-match, out-wit, out-think, and out-organize the other side. You can do it with a local chapter. They're a do-tank, not a think-tank. They do things in your state, not just white papers in Washington. 
Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Sign up with Americans for Prosperity. Find a local chapter near you. If you don't have one, you might be able to help them start one. they got a great group here in Georgia. I know they got one in Florida, around the nation. They're starting one in Alabama. So many good groups where you can outperform, outthink, outdo, outmaneuver, outact, and out-grassroots organize the left with the help and institutional knowledge of a great group like Americans for Prosperity. AmericansforProsperity.org slash Eric. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. If you want your business to grow, reach out to them. They can help get you to yes, where so many banks are saying no. They make their own decisions. $750,000 loans and more. Buying a building, 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 expanded franchise. Reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. I want to see if I can squeeze a phone call. Yeah, I got time, Lewis. I want to take your phone call here. Welcome to the show. How are you? Eric, I want to understand uh, companies, foreign companies that come over here to America and do business like China and buy American businesses are allowed to operate with an incentive to come over here with tax breaks and all kinds of other incentives. But somehow our government doesn't allow the same incentives to American companies that are already here operating and uh, don't allow them to operate for, for one, you know, our oil and gas industry or any anything else that will provide good jobs, but they'll allow the foreign company operate and, and just turn a blind eye to, to, to whatever regulation is supposed to be followed that a lot of times don't get followed at all. Yeah, uh, it, it is. There's no reciprocity there, and there probably should be. I, I'm not opposed to foreign companies coming here, investing in growing businesses, making jobs for Americans, things like that. But when it's a company, for example, that's owned by the Communist Party of China, I think we all have to raise some red flags about them coming in and investing in this country. Particularly, you know, there's that uh, troubling story that they bought a farm, the Chinese communists did, near a uh, American military installation. Nobody in the government seems to be that concerned with a Chinese communist outfit tied to the Chinese communist military buying a farm right next to a military base in the Dakotas. It's kind of um, kind of like not a good thing. And I don't know that institutionally the american government at the legislative and executive top levels really do understand what a threat china is becoming it's like tiktok where there's starting to be some sense the director of the fbi christopher ray is now warning americans about tiktok mark warner the head of the senate intelligence committee is and they're both essentially saying donald trump was right and notice it's not getting a ton of media attention. It's not getting a ton of attention. And why is it? Because so many of those media outlets also own film studios that need access to the Chinese market. Very few of them can get away with criticizing China. In fact, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, there are rumors it wants to spin off CNN. Probably be the best thing for CNN and for them in large part because – CNN is one of the very few news networks out there that is deeply critical of and investigatory in China. And that hurts Warner Brothers' box office in China. Disney owns ABC and ESPN. ESPN and Disney and ABC will not criticize China to save their lives. 
Fox is one of the very few organizations now that doesn't own a movie shoe. It sold 20th Century Fox to Disney. And so Fox can be critical, and it's not even as critical as CNN is. NBC is owned with Universal by Comcast. It can't be critical. CBS has Viacom and Paramount. It can't really be critical. CNN, I, I, it constantly amazes me that they're as critical of China as they are, given the Warner Brothers box office. Uh, Disney has seen its movies blocked in China because of ABC News coverage of China. So kudos to CNN for sticking it out, and also to Fox for being one of the few that can actually tell the truth of what's going on there. And Americans should be more resistant to Chinese businesses setting up shop in this country and buying our land, given they're not really our opponent anymore. They're actually an enemy.